Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome to the vineyard. Uh, my name is Jason Smith. I'm an associate pastor here. Uh, we love it that you've come. If, if today's your first time, we would love it if you'd fill out a connect card. And you can turn that in out at the atrium. We have a gift for first-time visitors. If you've been around but haven't filled out a Connect card, we'd love for you to do that because that helps us get to know you. And added bonus, you get a letter from Van, our senior pastor. So we would love it if you'd do that. Um, A couple of things coming up this week we want you to be aware of. First is the Culture of Heaven Conference. Uh, That starts this Thursday. So... um, if next Thursday, sorry, I'm reading off the sheet. Um, that starts next Thursday. Uh, we, I, I think, at this point, registration is over. It's sold out. Um, if you're coming, we'd love it. It's awesome. If you're not, uh, if you're coming or not, we'd love it if you'd pray for the conference. We want to really see the presence of God move powerfully during the conference. We want a fresh anointing of the presence of God for our church. We want to fulfill the call to our church to be a church where people come to Jesus, where we're seeing people set free from addiction, from bitterness, cancer, generational issues. Uh, You know, the list goes on. We want to see people set free. And we know that's going to happen at the conference and then be imparted to us. So please be praying for that, that we'll see a powerful impartation of the presence. The second thing is uh, family group. If you don't know, we have several house groups in our church where people get together for community, study the Bible, worship, pray for each other. And uh, one of those I lead on Wednesday nights. It's called family group. Um, and we have a house group here at the church. The cool thing is we provide child care um, for all ages up through middle school. And so we would love it if you want to come check out family group. This Wednesday night, we're going to have a potluck here. We'd love it if you'd bring something to share and just uh, see what family group's all about. Okay? That's it. I'm going to invite Van up. Uh, We have a special ministry commissioning this morning that we want you to participate in. There we go. Thank you, Jason. Hey, everyone. Um, This is a special day because we have a, a family that is has heard God's call in their lives, which we all have a call in our lives. For some of us, the call is stay right here, continue working where you are, love Jesus right there, serve the people there, and re- release my kingdom right there in that spot or in your neighborhood. For, for some, though, the call is pick up and move and go to someplace new. And the Pfeiffer family, um, why, why don't you all come up right now, okay? Yeah, let's welcome them up here. All right, we had the Pfeiffers up front and interviewed them a month or so ago about their um, new endeavor, what God's called them to. And it, just this Tuesday, in fact, they're packing their truck and they are moving to Saco, Maine, which is on the south, far southeast side of Maine, right on the Atlantic Ocean. And they are going to go there in order to support and be a part of the church planting team for the Saltwater Vineyard. That's a cool name, isn't it? 
And uh, we love this family. They've been here for 12 years. I remember, I think, probably the very first week you guys came, and we chatted right back there uh, in that, that part of the auditorium. And uh, they've, they've just been a huge part of the church, Andrew leading um, a men's group, Cheryl's led a women's group, as well as on staff for a number of years as our children's pastor and did a fantastic job in that role. And we've seen these kiddos grow up over the years, so it's awesome to see that too. And uh, what we're going to do right now is pray for them. And uh, they, we're, what we're going to do specifically is commission them. And, uh, but for us as a church, we need to be praying for them. Well, pray for a home for them to live in, in Maine. That's a good thing. It's hard to be in Maine without a home, okay? That's one of just the realities of life. And they're still looking for the home that they're going to live in, that God's going to provide for them. Um, finances, of course, anytime there's a move like this, there's always financial need. And there are ways, what well, we as a church body, out of, our, out of the offering that you give, are going to provide some support for them. But uh, others of you, I know, w- will be moved in your hearts above and beyond your normal giving here to give, you know, to support them in this, this uh, transitional phase of their lives. Andrew does have a job. That's a great thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so at the end of the service, they will be back here on the left side of the auditorium on your way out, so you can go back and you can talk to them and get more information about what they're doing. Why don't you guys make your way right out there, right dead center in the middle, and just kind of huddle together. Uh, we're going to pray for them right now, and I want to ask any leaders of the church or any, anybody that's just close friends with Andrew and uh, Cheryl and the kids to come up and lay hands on them and join in this, all right? have a couple people that are going to pray, and then I'm going to pray and uh, just pray uh, commissioning the Holy Spirit on them as they go. Susan, here you go. You want to wiggle your way in there? There you go. Wiggling. Okay. Um, all right. So let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for your plans for the Fifers, that you're speaking to their hearts. I just pray they continue to hear you as they step, that you would cover Andrew and Cheryl and their children, Elise and Caden and Wyatt, that they'd be under the shelter of your wing as they walk and as they travel and move. I pray you would cover each of their children that... um, there be safety in their travels that their children would have on the full armor of God as they go and that they would find lasting friendships and that Andrew and Cheryl would find lasting friendships there too that um, they would be steeped deep in community there just be on them guide them to a new home that they can call home there Um, I just pray this community would be so filled with Jesus that all of Sacco would be drawn to you, Father. Be on the leaders there as they guide them, as you guide them. Yeah, I had a word. Um, It was from Galatians 5. Um, 
verse 22. And it was, <clears throat> it was perfect. Because um, when you think of the Pfeiffers, you think of joy and kindness. So it's the fruit of the Spirit, because these are very Spirit-led people. So, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. I just want to bless that over you guys. Um, God, we just speak to them. Just speak to their hearts right now. Everywhere they go in Saco, Maine, that people are just drawn to it. And they just feel the joy and kindness that comes off of them. The love that they have for Jesus. That something incredible happens. They just wreck that town with the love of Jesus, God. <laughs> we just come. We just we just pray that over Andrew and, and the family right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, Father, uh, thank you for this couple. And um, Cheryl and Andrew, you guys have proven yourselves faithful. You have faithful character. You have a, a godly marriage and a godly home. And without hesitation, we commission you to go out into this ministry. We bless you with everything God's put into this church's heart and everything yet to be developed here that God's already put in but is still in seed form. We bless you with and you carry that with you everywhere you go. Most of all, just the anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit as you go out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Let's cheer for Andrew and Cheryl and the kids. Well, how many of you got up this morning and went outside and thought, this is beautiful weather? You know, in Cincinnati, we go straight from winter to summer. And, and so here's summer already. But um, I don't mind that so much. I think it's pretty nice. And I, I, I like the, uh, just love this season. And I know there's a couple here today that is really happy to be experiencing Cincinnati weather. Uh, in spite of all the allergies that we're supposed to uh, deal with around here. Um, we've prayed over the last several weeks for Dan, Smoker, and Lil and their family. And this morning, we're really happy to say that Dan and Lil are here in the church today. So where are they? Oh, right back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's stand up. Give it up for Dan and Lil. For any of you who have not been here, um, Dan had an accident mountain climbing in Colorado, fell 20 feet off a cliff onto rocks below, and uh, uh, the, I think the nurses called you the miracle man, is that right? Yep. Miracle man, God, God preserved his life, and in spite of multiple injuries, he is uh, progressing and was well enough to come home right now. So uh, we're really thankful to see you here. Thankful to know you, Dan. You are a faithful man of God. You have character that uh, if, if we just have you lay hands on every one of us and just have some of the character that you and Lil have bleed into our hearts of the perseverance that you have and the ability to keep a joyful attitude in the face of really, really daunting uh, challenges. And so, and we're going to have opportunities to pray for you over the upcoming weeks, I know. And there, there will be a time when we'll have thankful that Dan is here smiling and that Lil is here smiling. And we, we just thank you for them, for the picture of perseverance and trust in you. 
Lord, uh, we, we bless that and pr- pray it would multiply in many hundreds and thousands of other lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, I have a short joke to tell, okay? Um, well, whether you say okay or not. I, that, 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 was, uh, that was not a real question. Okay, so there was this man who... Um, he had a very inquisitive spirit. So here, here's what he said, his own testimony. He said, I feel like I'm like a detective. Everywhere I go, everyone I see, I'm investigating. I'm constantly roaming around looking for what's happening, trying to understand what's happening. And, and, and just like a detective, I'm always on the lookout. He said, that irritated my wife. She finally got so frustrated with me that one day she looked at me. She said, that's it. I've had it. We're splitting up. I thought about it for a moment, and then I said, good, we can cover more territory that way. (laughs) A six on a scale of one to ten, but um, yeah, so uh, Father, as we go into this passage today, uh, we just pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and be our teacher. We need to learn from you. We need to learn from you. That's our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, the New Testament talks about different stages of spiritual growth and spiritual development. It, it talks about like the, the brand new stage. Some places it's called spiritual babies, others young children. But in that brand new believer stage, there's just this, this sense of everything is new, everything is fresh. And there's one thing that that new believer knows. They know, I didn't know God before, now I do. I know God. And it's the most exciting and wonderful thing uh, they've ever experienced in life. Then, then there's another stage that the New Testament refers to. And we'll just lump it all together and call it adulthood. In First John, John calls it uh, young people, but he doesn't mean like 18-year-olds there. He means like adulthood. And in that stage... This, this stage of spiritual growth, there's an understanding of spiritual authority. There's an understanding of spiritual warfare. There's an understanding of the power of God and, and serving God. And so this is a very, uh, a very s- stage that's focused on mission. But then there's a third stage. And that third stage is that of spiritual fathers and mothers, And when it comes to spiritual fathers and mothers, uh, what the Bible says about them is they know God. Everything about the other two stages they've got down, but the years of experience, the years of walking with God, trusting him over and over again, they know God intimately and deeply. And in the church, in the evangelical church in America and and much of the charismatic church, we talk a lot about teachers and leaders and apostles, but we don't talk enough about spiritual fathers and mothers. And I think that's that's something God's going to be taking us more and more into as a church body, a deeper understanding of what it means to have spiritual fathers and mothers. Not, not only in our lives personally, but as a church body, there are spiritual fathers and mothers in this church. And at some point in time, we're gonna talk more about that and, and draw that out. But the epistle that we're studying right now, the letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, is written by a spiritual father to his spiritual son. And I would say the difference between looking at spiritual 
fatherhood, motherhood, as opposed to teaching or apostleship or even shepherding, the difference could be viewed the same as the difference between an elementary school teacher's relationship with uh, the, the classroom of kids versus the relationship with their own children at home that they feed every day, that they bathe every day, that they tuck in into bed every night. And when we begin to understand this whole idea of spiritual fatherhood and spiritual motherhood, it really, for, for those that will recognize, maybe for the first time, that that's what they are, that they are at a stage where they're a spiritual father or mother, what it's going to do for them is it's going to enable them to look at other people as their children, and, and when they see someone who is in difficulty, they're not going to look at them as someone who's messed up their life and someone needs to tell them the right way to go. They're going to look at them and they're going to think, if that was my daughter, if that was my son, how would I want someone to treat them? How, how would I want someone to relate to them? How would I want, how, what, what, what tone of voice, what look on the face would I want them to have? What heart would I want them to be pursued with? And so this is a, a real important part of the whole picture because this is how Paul viewed Timothy. He viewed him as a son. And when we read this letter, it, what we see is a father passing on to his son the things his son needs to, to move on in life, the things his son needs to be faithful the things his son needs to do everything that God's called him to do. And as, as you look at this whole thing, one of the things Paul said in the passage Wilson uh, talked about last week was, he said, the things you've learned from me pass on to others, other faithful people who will be able then to pass them on to others. That's spiritual fathering. Paul is fathering Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, there's some people you're going to father. Some of them are going to be like brothers and sisters to you. And you pass on to them what I've given to you. Kind of like the older brother in the family gets to pass on to the younger what they've learned. And one of the things I want us to understand is when Paul says, the things you've learned from me pass on, every one of us have stuff to pass on to others. If you know Jesus, then you have something to pass on to others. And the simple thing is this, the better I know him, the more I have to pass on. Because spiritual fathers and mothers are known by being those who have a depth of intimacy with the father. And so the deeper, the deeper you go in relationship with God the father, the more you have to pass on. But um, I, I want to say this too. Passing on doesn't always mean that it's just going to be logical, um, uh, didactic lessons. It's not like I have to be a teacher to pass things on. Or I have to be able to write it all down in logic and then stand behind a lectern or even sit down and, and, and give propositional truth to another person. Much of what we pass on is simply by example. Uh, when I was 21 years old, I was in college, uh, just become a believer a year before, and I was leading a youth group in a home of um, a family in the town I went to college in. And there are 25, 30 kids coming to this youth group every week. And, uh, and we have different teachers come in, and, and we had this doctor that was coming weekly and teaching us some things through the book of Romans. And uh, one night after the, after the group had met, I went out to my car, and I had a flat tire. 
Now, it just so happened that the owner of the home, who was the one who had started this ministry and recruited me to lead it for this period of time, and the doctor were both there with me when I saw I had a flat tire. One of them looked at me and said, give us your keys. Give me your keys. And I said, why? And he said, we're changing your tire. And I said, what? You can't change my tire. I'll change your tire. You you guys are up here. You know, you're, you're the father's. I'm just, I'm just a kid down here. Why would you, want to, why would you do that for me? And they said, just, just give us your keys. We're, we're changing your tire for you. And so I really, I had to humble myself and say, okay, and just stand back and watch them change my tire. Now, that was a lesson for me that did not involve any, t- any words. But I learned from that servanthood. I learned from that that nobody, no matter what their position, is ever too high to serve, to humble themselves, and to take care of somebody else that maybe could do it themselves, but just for the sake of serving them, to bond hearts together. So every lesson doesn't have to be a, a coupled by a Bible verse and a 15-minute devotional, okay? And we all have something to pass on. What the Apostle Paul is passing on to Timothy here is how to keep going, how to be strong in the midst of difficulty, and uh, this whole process of passing, passing it on is hard. That's why Paul said you have to be like a soldier, you have to be strong. He said you have to be like an athlete, you have to be disciplined. And he said you have to be like a farmer, because it takes great patience as, as you work with people to pass on the things that we've learned and to, and to father and, and mother them and, and what we might use the term disciple, but to, to help people to grow. And Paul knew how hard it was because he had all sorts of people abandon him. He had people, um, when he went to trial, people that should have been there giving testimony to his character abandoned him. Uh, Paul had leaders that were teaching false doctrine He had other leaders that were using their position to gain sexual favors from others. And and there was one man, at the end of the book, Paul says this, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, Demas was one of Paul's disciples, like Timothy. Maybe not quite at the same level of intimacy as Timothy was, but he was someone that Paul had poured his heart and his life into, and when, when it came down to it, Tim, Demas looked around and he said, this is too hard, this is too hard, I'd rather have that and that than this, and he walked away from the faith and he deserted Paul. Now that's heartbreaking, that's hard. You have to have strength of character to keep going when things like that happen. And, and, and what we're going to see here applies not just to this aspect of passing on what we have learned to others and discipling and helping others grow. It really applies to every area of life. It applies to marriage. How do you maintain it? How do you persevere in your marriage? It applies to a job that maybe isn't your favorite thing or it wasn't what you had hoped for in, in your career. It, it applies to relationships with children and neighbors and, and all across the board, but Paul starts this. Last week, um, Wilson ended with this verse. I want to read it right now. I think, it, I think I'm going to have some of these come up on the screen because we're going to read them together. But this is uh, verse 7. Do we have that? Verse 7. All right. 
He ended these first seven verses by saying this, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, now that is crucial. It is the bottom line for all of us when it comes to our own personal growth in relationship with Jesus. What it means is this, it takes God revealing himself to us. It's not me applying my brain the very best I can and all the things I learned to do and the study I learned in seminary. It's not that. It is God revealing to us his heart and his truth. And it's us understanding the heart of God. And so when we come to the point that we say, I just don't get this, that's time to spend time alone with God. And just, God, you said here that you're going to reveal, I'm going to understand because you're going to reveal it to me. And in the Bible, in Ephesians 1, the apostle Paul prayed and he said, I pray that God will open the eyes of your heart, that he will give you this spirit of revelation and wisdom. In Luke 24, it says, as Jesus, after his resurrection, is with his apostles, he said to them, it says that, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, the psalmist prayed and he said, God, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things from your word. See, there are wonderful things there that if all we do is use our intellect and our our ability to study and to parse uh, language, if that's all we get, then we're gonna end up like the Pharisees. Do you know what Jesus said to them? He said, you guys study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But here I am, the one who possesses eternal life, and you're rejecting me. See, they were studiers. They knew how, they, they were academics. But they didn't get this, verse seven. Put that back up, okay? Verse seven, put that back up. They didn't get this idea that it's the Lord that gives us understanding, it's called revelation. Without that, without that, it's, it just becomes rules. It just becomes uh, me working to make God happy with me somehow or me doing my best to, um, to, uh, to apply some Reader's Digest type principles to my life so that I treat my wife nicer. But that's, that's not transformation. Transformation comes through revelation. You get that transformation comes through revelation. When God reveals himself to us, we see him more fully, we see him more clearly, we, and we go, oh, that's what that means. I, I knew the words. Like Job, at the end of the book of Job, uh, when God came to Job and, and spoke to Job personally, Job says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with my eye. He said, it's as, if, it's as if some of my eyes have been opened and now I see who you really are. And that's, a fan, that, that's what we're all shooting for. That's what we all need. In the Old Testament, there is, uh, I just read this last week, there, there was this um, incident that occurred in the book of Leviticus. And God, God used chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter to describe how to build the tabernacle, which was the place of worship. And then so many chapters on how to actually make the offerings and the sacrifices that would be made in that tabernacle. Minute detail on how to do it. Well, there were two men, Nadab and Abihu, 
who had the privilege of going up on the mountain with Moses and 70 other elders, and it says they saw God, but they saw him at a distance. And it says they sat down and they ate and they drank. So God had a dinner party for these 70 elders in this other small group, Joshua, Nadab, Abihu, Aaron, Moses. And they saw God at a distance. They had that privilege of actually, I don't know what that means. I, I can't quite conceive of them, but they saw God. But then it says that then God called Moses to himself. And Moses went to God, and they spoke as a man speaks to a friend face to face. That's the intimacy. It's one thing to see God from a distance. It's another thing to be face to face with God. And to have that closeness, that intimacy, that growing sense of his heart bleeding into my heart, and my heart understanding his heart and becoming like his heart. And so they come down from the mountain, and... um, Sometime later, Nadab and Abihu, who had this incredible experience, Nadab and Abihu go in to make an offering, and they, they did something self-willed. They didn't pay attention to what God, the instructions God had given, and they offered what the Bible called strange fire. What that means is that the incense that they, that they put was their own mixture and not God's mixture. And God says, look, look, just as a sign of how holy I am, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, you've got to mix it this way, okay? As a sign of how beautiful I am, you've got to make the tabernacle this way. And so it was all to be a reflection of God's holiness and beauty and goodness. And they come, and, and they ignore all of that, and they make their own offering, which was not what God wanted. And it says, fire came out from the altar and consumed both of them. They both died right on the spot. Now, we could talk about why that happened and, and the goodness of God, but we're not going to go that direction this morning. But... Um, Moses, who was there, turns to Aaron, their father. Aaron is their father, and they're all in the tabernacle. And he says, don't tear your clothes, don't cry, don't say anything right now. And then he tells two of the other young men there, take these two bodies out. And he tells Aaron also, Aaron, you can't leave the tent. You have to stay here because you've already been anointed for this day's service. And so Aaron and his other two sons stay and serve throughout that day. At the end of the day, Moses is checking up on things to see if everything's been done. And he notices that one of the offerings that was intended to be eaten by Aaron as like a celebration before God. Okay, this offering is made, and then as a celebration, and really, if you're thinking, oh man, there's poor animals, they all, look, we, we slaughter millions of cows and pigs and sheep just so you and I can go to McDonald's, okay? So let's not be too hard on them. A lot of this stuff was eaten, all right? And so this was one of the offerings that was uh, roasted and then the priest, the priests were supposed to eat it as a celebration of God's goodness and provision. And Moses is looking around and he's saying, you guys didn't eat the offering. What? And here God has specifically said, with this offering, you have to eat the offering, And so Aaron said this, he said, on a day like this, with what's happened today, would it have pleased God's heart for me to eat this offering? He didn't use the word heart, but would it have pleased the Lord for me to eat this offering? And what he was saying was, this is a day of grief, not celebration, and I feel like I would, it wouldn't have fit, and I don't think it would have fit with God's heart. He's grieving right now, too, over Nadab and Abihu. 
because the Bible says God doesn't find any pleasure in the death of anyone, the death of the wicked, I find no pleasure. And so Moses said, you're right, you're right, that was a good call. But here's what I see in that. In spite of the, incre- in, in, in spite of the uh, incredibly detailed instructions they had, Aaron was in touch with the heart of God because he knew God and he knew God's heart. And so rather, in this case, he said, in this case, I don't think that's what I should do. And if any of us are hung up on the detail of obedience, now I'm not saying we shouldn't obey, we should, we love your wife, love your kids, work hard at your job, don't gossip, honor everyone in your life, be truthful and kind and be joyful. All, all of that is where our lives should be headed. But if some people are hung up on the detail, and oh my, I, I just thought a lustful thought towards, oh God, please, please don't judge me for that. And there's this sense of condemnation. And if anyone's hung up on that, what Aaron shows us is that what we need to do is to get in touch with the heart of God. And it's the heart of God that trumps everything. And again, I'm not saying that anybody here could, t- don't, don't come up and tell me, well, I got in touch with the heart of God, he told me to divorce my wife. Don't come and tell me that, because I'm gonna tell you, no, he didn't. <laughs> not unless she's a multiple adulteress or, or something like that. But, but to be in touch with the heart of God, to know him, to have revelation from him. That is how we grow. That is how we change. And so with this passage, what we're going to do is just read through the passage together. I'm going to make a few comments on it. And, um, and so we're, we're looking at 2 Timothy. Let's put the passage up, okay, guys? All right, those are small words, aren't they? I want you to stand up with me. Let's read it together, okay? I see three things in this. We're not going to go into great detail on this. But I see, uh, for one thing, that what, what Timothy needed was confidence. And you get that confidence by knowing who you're serving. I see that, that he needed boldness. And you get that boldness by knowing that what you're doing has an impact. And security. You get security by knowing the one you've, you've trusted and believed in. So let's read it together, all right? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, have a seat. Okay, confidence. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Okay, there was a human being, a man, who overcame death. That's what he's saying. 
One of us, Jesus, God's son, fully deity and yet fully humanity, came into this world. He was the son of David, and he overcame death. And so Paul's confidence is that he is not simply another guy with a new philosophy of life or a politician with the answer that we need, and he's peddling his ideas that are probably going to die with him. Paul's confidence comes from the fact that he is personally attached to one who has already overcome death, to the creator God of the universe, to the one whose word is not imprisoned. And Paul says, I might be imprisoned, God's word isn't. And so there's confidence in that because because what he's saying there is our personal limitations cannot dictate the effectiveness of God's word. Paul's in prison. Who's he going to preach to? And yet he's saying, no, 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 I'm in prison, but God's word is not in prison. God's word is powerful and it's going out into the world even right now, even though I'm here. And so whatever limitations you and I might face or whatever limitations we might feel are imposed upon us, we need to rest in this, that we are attached to one who is greater, one who has overcome death and the grave, and one whose word is going out into the world and changing people's lives. And we need, we need, we need understanding into that, because it's one thing to hear the words, it's another thing for the Holy Spirit to really open our minds and say, oh, that's what that means. When we, when we can really grasp it, we need the Holy Spirit to show us more fully. So as you and I face life and we face our limitations, maybe our limitations are physical and the amount of energy we have or the job that we have and how many hours a week we have to work or they might be, we, we might feel like we don't have the right education or the right background or there might be past failures or no one's recognized me or my social status isn't right, or, or, or maybe in some way I feel imprisoned in life, what we need to do is to recognize the truth of God's word says that God's not limited by our limitations. Our limitations don't limit God. When you begin to recognize that, then you can, you can have strength to press through the difficulties. When Demas leaves, and you say, oh, my right hand is gone. I'm finished, I'm done. no. Demas might be gone, but God's still here and God's still working, and I don't have to, I don't have to yield to that thinking. I don't have to, I'm not imprisoned. I am not imprisoned in the sense that God's word in me and through me is not going to be effective. I am free. Even though I might be limited personally, God's word is not limited. And so that gives us this incredible confidence. And when you know who you're serving, then you can serve with boldness. And, and no fear. And that next passage really goes into the idea of boldness. He said, I'm going to endure everything. I'm going to keep on going for the sake of those who are chosen. Chosen means choice or special. And, and so I, I would probably, if I was translating it, I would say for the sake of those who will respond. And there have been many times in this church's life when we've hit hard points and been tempted to stop and focus on the difficulty and my word has always been, there are hundreds of people coming. We've got to be ready for them. We've got to focus on the ones that are coming. Because if we stop and we get all bogged down by this thing that may be ugly at the moment, if we get bogged down by that, we're not going to be ready for the ones that are still on the way here. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm not going to get stuck. I'm going to keep going. No matter what, I'm going to have a boldness. And, and when you know who you're serving, boldness becomes natural. When you know that the one you're serving is the king of the universe, he's the one who has overcome death, then boldness just becomes natural. When I was a kid, um, there, there was a, um, the house I grew up in, there was a right-of-way between our house and the neighbor's house. And a right-of-way means it was a piece of ground that the township owned so that they could put a road there if they ever wanted to. Now, in that right-of-way, there was an apple tree growing. And it was one of those short, really bushy apple trees. And my grandfather, who was living with us at the time, parked his car, and this was the only place for him to park it, right behind that apple tree. Now, my father was afraid. My grandfather was getting old and probably at the point where we needed to take his keys away from him. But uh, my, my father was afraid that my granddad was going to back out of there and not see a kid coming down the sidewalk on his bicycle. Now, my neighbor loved that tree. Those were his words. I don't know how you can love an apple tree, but he loved that tree. But one day my dad told me, Van, I want you to take the saw and cut that tree down. And my dad went to work, so I took a saw and I cut the tree down. And when the neighbor came to me and said, Van, someone told me you cut my apple tree down. It wasn't really his because it wasn't on his property. You know what I said? He said, why did you do that? You know what I said? I said, my dad told me to. That was it. My dad told me to cut it down. I cut it down. I didn't say this because it would have been disrespectful, but to finish the thought, it would have been, you know, if you have a problem with that, I'm not the guy to talk to. (laughs) If you have a problem with that, go talk to my dad. He told me to do it. I'm under his authority, and he told me to do it, and so I did it. And so when you know that, there's boldness that comes into our lives. And then finally, security. And and I just want to read through. He says it's a trustworthy statement. The trustworthy statement is that when you receive Jesus, you, you, you're headed on a path of eternal glory. That's the trustworthy statement. And he says this, first, first thought, four powerful, really, declarations. He says, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Did you know that the Bible teaches that the moment you accept Christ into your heart, at that moment, your old person dies. Jesus died on the cross so that that sinful person that you were from birth, the sin nature that you had could die. That old person died and you become brand new. And so that's it right there. We talk a lot about identity in Christ, but that's what this is referring to. Once you receive Christ, you're a brand new person. Second thing, he says, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. Now, endure is a tough word because it makes it sound like, oh man, I have this horrible burden in life and I'm depressed, kind of like Eeyore, You know, I'm going to do the right thing, but oh, it's so hard, and I'm going to endure, but that's not enduring. Jesus shows us what enduring is. Enduring is you keep on going because you know the one you're serving has overcome death, and, and, and you're bold because of that, and you're confident because of that, and you can have joy because of that. Jesus had joy as he endured, and in fact, you ask, well, why did he have joy? Not because he reinterpreted his circumstances to somehow make something that's bad good. That's what we try to do. Oh, well, God has some purpose in this. Yeah, he does. I mean, he he uses everything for our good, but it doesn't mean he made it happen. But Jesus had this joy because he knew he was part of something bigger. He was part of something bigger. 
And when you know when you're part of something bigger that's eternal, that's a matter of life and death for other people out there, then this stuff doesn't bother you as much. And that's how we reign in life. We reign in life because, you know, a king, you you think of a king, what do you think of a king? Well, living like a king, that's what it means to reign in life. What we think of, we see too many movies where the king is drunk, sitting behind a table, eating a big, big turkey leg, and, you know, slobbering all over everything. And that's what being a king is, living the good life. That's not it at all. The king's duty was to give his life for his people. There's even, a, there's even a, a, a phrase for that. It was the royal oblige, that royalties, they, they are obligated to take care, to bless. And so when, when he says we're going to reign in life, what he's saying is we're going to walk in this authority and power so that whatever happens in my life, I'm above it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm bigger than that. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, th- that's, that's not going to be on top of me. I'm going to be on top of it. I'm going to walk in joy because I know who I'm serving and I know the consequences and I know the importance of this and how people's lives depend on it. So I'm going to walk in joy. But reigning is, is this attitude that we can walk in peace no matter what. We can walk in confidence no matter what because we know Jesus and we're following him. And so we get to reign in life. And then he says, uh, next, a statement that's kind of hard to understand, but he says... Um, if we deny him, he'll deny us. Now, that's a future tense, if in the future we deny him. And I believe what he's saying here is not a moment of weakness, not a moment. You know, there have been many martyrs who have recanted their faith and then recanted their recantation. And so it's not like even saying that under pressure, I said, okay, I don't believe in Jesus. No, it's not that, or it's not like me being at, at some friend's house and they're all talking about something that's, that's, um, that's unbiblical and I didn't speak up. It's not that. What it's talking about here is coming to a point where in a calculated, thought-through manner, a person says, I don't believe in Jesus. It's talking about suffering. I'm looking at the suffering here and I'm looking at not suffering here. Okay, Jesus, if, if it means suffering, then I'm out. Count me out. It's a fa- hard and fast decision. And so get this, it's not like a moment of weakness because the very next verse he states here, the very next thing he says is, if we are faithless, that's a present tense. So that means like if at the moment I'm lacking faith or if at the moment I'm struggling with doubt or for a season of time I'm lacking faith or struggling with doubt, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. What that means is Jesus is in you if you're a believer. He is in you. And so he can't can't reject himself. I have a new heart. I've I've been created anew, a Jesus heart. He can't reject that. And so he's not saying here that, that if a person accepts Jesus and then a year later, they recant, or they, they never, they, they, they say, no, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, and they go for the rest of their life like that. That person's just not saved. They never were. So First John says, there were those that went out from us, but they were never really one of us, because if they were really one of us, they would have stayed with us. Because once you're born again, that's final. You get a new heart, that's final. That new heart draws you in the direction of God and you might waver and you might falter and you might even have a season of time, but that new heart is gonna win out and you're gonna end up pursuing God. 
And so this whole idea, let's just end with this. God is faithful, okay? Let's ask God for a deeper revelation of that. How's that sound? God, say, say, let's say this together. I'm gonna say it and then I'll count to three and then we will all say it. Lord, give us revelation into your faithfulness. Okay, just that. Okay, let's say it together. One, two, three. Lord, give us revelation into your faithfulness. Okay. Thank you, God. Uh, we, we know you are faithful. We know you are good. We want to know you better. We want more and more revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, if you grab the basket on your left, we're going to receive the offering right now, and you can pass that down the row. The ushers are going to come down and pick those up. And um, also, there's giving online. I'd say at least a third of our giving right now happens online, which is really wonderful. You can go online uh, on our app, and you can just set it up to give the same day every month, which is what Lori and I have done. But thank you for giving. The offerings have been strong, and uh, we're really thankful for that. It just takes a weight off of us as leaders that we can focus on the things we need to focus on. In the first song of uh, worship today, we're going to receive communion. So those that are going to serve can make their way to the back. Um, communion is one of the things Jesus gave us to do, a specific thing. We take the bread, the little cracker. That represents his body, which was given for us. We dip it in the juice. The juice represents his blood. And then we consume it, which symbolizes that we need Jesus. I received you, Jesus, 40 years ago. I still need you every day. I don't need to receive you every day. I received you then, you're in me, but I need you every day. So, Father God, we thank you for your love for us and your goodness. And as we worship you, uh, worship through communion and song, Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to be pleased and release your presence, reveal your presence. Just let heaven come all over this place. In Jesus' name, amen.